are uh, right at the uh, finish line for a series I hope you've enjoyed uh, called Life Apps. And we have been hammering home this theme that it has, since the church kind of burst onto the scene, there has been a tension in the church that has looked like this. We get together, we get into the word of God, we learn about God, and then we leave feeling like that has accomplished our mission as the church. And we don't always apply the things that we have learned, that we have gained, so that actual life change and transformation can happen. And we know this has been going on since the early church because James, who was the biological half-brother of Jesus, Jesus wrote to us, writing to the church at that time and writing into the future to all of us, and said something pretty profound. He said, hey, church, James chapter 1, verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. And so we've known that that is a tension point. So we're walking through this series, and I got to be honest with you. One of the things that sometimes Donald uh, looks at with me are the podcast listens when we have a series. And so I'm just going to say something for you guys. This has not been the most popular podcast to listen to because themes like forgiveness and themes like confession have not been things that you guys have gone back and listened to a couple times. No pressure on that, but I've just noticed. And uh, when I got to uh, rest, you guys all listened to that one. And so <laughs> I'm just saying, <laughs> I know that these are sometimes hard things to actually do, and uh, I hope you've enjoyed the series as we've been uh, walking through that. Last week, um, we talked about trust, and I had the trust window up here, and uh, we talked about what that looked like. And today, we're wrapping the series with something I hope uh, you enjoy, because we are going to be talking about encouragement. Encouragement. Now, why talk about encouragement? It's funny, we don't think about encouragement uh, all that often. Here's the thing about encouragement that's interesting to me. As I was thinking about it, I was thinking nobody wakes up, looks in the mirror, getting ready for their day and says, you know what your issue is? You don't encourage enough people, right? That doesn't really come out of us. We don't think about in those kinds of terms. We're not really self-aware when it comes to this idea of encouragement. I was, uh, I was listening to uh, Max Lucado I don't know if you know I'm a Christian author, and uh, he was talking about encouragement. He had a, a great illustration. It was really powerful and connected with me. He said, he said uh, you know, we live out on the coast. He was, must have been somewhere Midwest because he was talking about if you ever have a chance to see a seagull. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I was like, if you're ever fighting for your french fries to protect them from seagulls, like that's an illustration we would all understand, right? But it's true. He was talking about seagulls, and he was trying to say that they, they were majestic birds the way they flew. But because we know they mostly fly around trash, it's hard to think of them as majestic. But stay with me on, on, the, on the point, because I thought it was really interesting. He was saying the, the way a seagull flies it's all about themselves. It's all about positioning themselves for the most strategic uh, uh, advantage, right? And so when that French fry hits the ground, those seagulls do not work as a team to get that French fry. It is a race. And whoever gets it first, that doesn't mean that you're going to get that French fry, they will literally fly into each other, knock the wind out of one another, till that fry comes up out of their throat and try to devour that from one another. So his point was, don't go to a seagull church and don't surround yourself with seagull people. Now, 
if you think about, uh, he compared that to geese. Now, that was a hard illustration for me because I don't like geese. They squawk and they're loud and they go to the parks and they, uh, yeah. So the seagull mentality is just take everything you can, right? So you compare that with geese. Now, the interesting thing about geese isn't how they smell or attack your children at the park. But if you look at the way a geese flies, <clears throat> they always fly in formation. Now, there's a reason, and most of you know that, because it's more aerodynamic for them to fly in that formation. What I wasn't aware of is it actually reduces drag by up to 71% when they fly in formation like that. So they can actually fly almost at least 71% further in a day if they fly in formation like that. And they will regularly rotate the leader of that because the leader has most of the weight. So once the leader has flown for a while, he'll drop back and someone else will take a turn carrying most of the weight. The other thing that is very unique about geese is if for some reason a geese is injured or exhausted or struggling and needs to land, two more geese will always land with them. One, to ensure they're okay and protected on the ground, but ultimately so that when they get back into the air and need to catch up to the larger group, they have a formation to fly into. They stay together. In fact, scientists are fairly certain that the honking, the irritating noise that geese make is actually primarily used as a sign of encouragement to whoever is leading because the front geese never honks because he's exerting the most energy. And the rear geese honk to encourage the person who's carrying the most of the weight to support them and come alongside of them. Why are you talking about birds so much? Because you want to go to a church that's full of geese that honk and encourage each other, right? That's the kind of church that you want to sign up for. So my question is, not just in church world, but in your life, do you find that you're surrounded by more seagulls? or more geese? Are the people that you encounter in your life more often than not flying a pattern that is only advantageous to themselves? Are they picking for every scrap of meat that they can get? Are they willing to woof into you and knock the wind out of your sails, come on now, in order to improve their own position? Are you more surrounded by geese? or by seagulls, if you think about it. People who are in your circle, would they look at the way your interactions with them go and think of you as someone who they understand is basically trying to get the most you can out of life, or do they hear the honk, come on now, of encouragement coming through you? Interesting. Interesting. What's funny is I don't think we really have a picture in the scripture of how often the Bible invites us to both be encouraged and to be an ambassador of encouragement everywhere we go. So I'm going to take you on a little bit of a whirlwind through scripture, and then we're going to land on one person, and then we're going to finish early so we have time to do the ministry fair, and you can set your watches by it, and that's kind of where we are going to go. Now, the word encouragement in the scripture literally means to come along and side someone and call out 
the best in them. So when the Bible says the word encouragement, this is what it's referring to. It's saying someone who brings encouragement literally comes alongside, come on now, and honks out the best in them. You can make it. You got this. You can do it. You have enough. God will supply. It is available to you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. There is nothing that is impossible for him who believes. It is possible within you. There is nothing that cannot happen with God's help in your life. That's what encouragement in the scripture looks like. It comes alongside. It says, I know you're struggling right now, but it is possible and there is hope. And the God of the universe created you for such a time as this. There is nothing impossible for him who believes. That's what encouragement looks like in the Bible. Come alongside and call out the best. Now, if you just look at the English word encouragement and you go to the dictionary, it's pretty easy to get there. English in the dictionary, just, or encourage in the dictionary just means to inspire with courage encourage, inspire. I want to breathe that courage into you. I want you to actually leave with courage. You really want to get into the word sometime and talk about something that's tough. Look at how often the scriptures talk negatively when cowardice comes up. It's in there all the time. Some of you have a way harder time with behavior that is talked about way less often than cowardice, and you don't have a hard time with cowardice, and cowardice is talked about in the scripture over and over and over and over and over again, but I'll just run away from that right now because we're not talking about that. I want you to be encouraged, but encouragement says, I impart courage to you. Now, discouragement is I remove bravery and instill fear. I remove bravery and instill fear. So when I am an agent of discouragement, I've actually come alongside your life and I've removed bravery from you. I've instilled fear in you. Dude, I don't know, that's risky. I don't know. I mean, I know you think that God's with you on that, but that might not work out. You know, what are you gonna do if the resources don't match up? What are you gonna do? I come alongside you and I begin to undermine your courage. Well, I don't think enough people like you. All right? You're not really you're not really good enough at that. That's what discouragement does. The problem is again, no one looks in the mirror and sees this. No one looks in the mirror and realizes this. But I will tell you this, you do recognize it in somebody else. You do recognize it when it's in someone else. You know when you've been around someone who leaves you feeling discouraged who leaves you feeling like you're not good enough, like they're, the dreams that you have are silly, that they're not practical or realistic or important, that you don't matter, that somehow you're insignificant. You know when you've been around someone who's deposited that into your life, just like you know when you've been around someone and you left charged feeling like anything was possible, that your dreams were possible, that you, you, you might actually be able to do the thing that God's put in your heart to do. You know that. Isn't it interesting, as we get into that, it's so clear. You probably have faces and names popping right now. Maybe coaches, pastors, coworkers, teachers, and you've got them on a scale. Did they encourage? Did they discourage? Mentors, people in your life. So we know this is a regular part and a big deal in our lives, but we don't talk about it in church very often. I think we miss the boat on that. 
we miss it all the time. I was thinking about the first time I ever got in front of people and talked about Jesus. It was after a summer camp, and I was raw. I was not a church kid. So I didn't know much about church etiquette or how you should speak. I still probably don't. Some of you are like, come on, can you tuck his shirt in? Just like one time for me, pastor, right? Come on. <laughs> Whatever. I didn't know how that was supposed to go, but I had my children's Bible and God had spoke to my heart at camp and I wanted to share what God spoke. And so after camp on a Sunday night service with about 30 folks in the room, some teenagers had a chance to share just what God had done in their lives. And I don't know if it's just always been the case, but I was like, I'm going to be prepared if I go up there because I ain't embarrassing myself. So I spent some time, I worked on, I had notes, you know, not everybody had notes, I had notes already. And I remember I walked up and I started talking about the idea that many were called but few were chosen. And that a lot of people had the opportunity to follow Jesus, but not everybody would do it. And I wanted to be someone who did it. That was all I had. I was probably sloppy. I was probably messy. I probably, you know, sounded not polished. And that was what I had. And I sat down and someone leaned over to me and goes, wow, that was really good. That actually spoke to my heart. Have you done that before? And I said, no. I said, man, you could do that. I still hear that voice. Sometimes when I'm stuck, like last week when I was stuck, I still hear that voice of encouraging, breathing into me. You can do that. That's in you. There's a thing there. Someone spoke life into me, encouraged me at a young age. Said there's something there when you got into the word and just said what it meant to you. It did something. That's the power of encouragement. That person wasn't trying to manipulate me, wasn't trying to send me in some life direction. They simply affirmed what they saw God doing in my life and they took the 10 seconds that it took to actually speak it out loud and it changed the course and direction of my life. That's the power of encouragement. I gotta tell you, this book right here wants you to be encouraged. It wants you to know who you are the value you have, what God did for you because of that value. Let me take you on a little whirlwind tour. Some of you still don't believe me. Or you believe me, but you're just trying to not hear it. First thing I want you to recognize, the scriptures encourage us. The Bible encourages us. Oh, the opposite of courage is fear. Yeah, that's good. That's pretty good. <laughs> the scriptures encourage us. I'm in Romans chapter 15, verse four. Pretty simple. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Paul wants us to understand right there that everything that was written, this wasn't to discourage you. Some of you get into the Bible and you leave discouraged. Oh, I can never do that. Oh man, I just no hope for me. Or I don't even understand. Somehow that gets into you. That was never the intent of the scriptures. It was always through the endurance and encouragement of the scriptures that you might have hope. The purpose and value of the scriptures were to inspire you to hope. God wants you to experience that. The Bible is full of that. The Bible also makes it, makes it clear that God the Father wants us to be encouraged. 
He wants us to be encouraged. Verse five, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement, did you catch that? God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. The Bible wants you to understand clearly that God wants to impart encouragement into you. He wants you to feel that. Jesus was clear that he wanted to encourage us. 2 Thessalonians 2, 16. It says, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us, listen to this, eternal encouragement and good hope. Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Why don't we talk about this more? Why don't you know that the purpose of this was to breathe life and encouragement into you. That God wanted you to know how valuable you are. That God wanted you to know what you're actually capable of. That God wanted you to know that. The Holy Spirit encourages us. Acts chapter nine. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened, it was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers living in the fear of the Lord. As fact, in the Greek, the word for the Holy Spirit literally means the encourager. When Jesus left, he's like, I'm gonna leave the counselor. I'm gonna leave the encourager. I'm gonna leave my spirit that comes alongside you and reminds you who you are and reminds you who God is and reminds you what you're capable in eternal sense. That was the thing I'm gonna leave for you to make sure that you're strengthened, that you have courage, that you know you have power, that you know what you're able to accomplish. It's the reason that the church grew. They had an identity of who they were and they were encouraged. That's awesome. That's powerful. We look in the mirror and we don't go, oh, you're awesome. I dare you to look in the mirror this week and just be like, God designed you. God loves you. God has a plan for you. God called you out. I'm not making that up. It's just very simply the truth of the word of God. That's who you are. It's who he designed you to be. That's not some kind of self-worship or some kind of idoling yourself. That's not what that is. It's just being honest. The Bible wants you to be encouraged. It's true. I'm saying it loud because I want you to believe me. I want you to be encouraged. So if the scriptures want us to be encouraged... It points out that God the Father clearly wants us to be encouraged. Jesus' message was be encouraged. The purpose of the Holy Spirit was so that we could be encouraged. Guess what our job here on earth entails? Being ambassadors of that encouragement to others. That's critical. We need to encourage. I need a little encouragement. Come on, preach. Someone, come on, come on. <laughs> we need to encourage one another. First Thessalonians 5, verse 11. 
Therefore, encourage one another, build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Spur each other on. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing it, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Paul's like, or well, the author of Hebrews is like, you got to press on the gas of encouragement, right? You got to press on it. You can't just take that. Your encouragement can't sit in idle. You can't just fill your tank, turn on the, uh, the, uh, the encouragement car and leave it idling. He's like, we got to spur each other on. We got to press on the gas. You got to look for opportunities. You got to walk up to people and say, you are a blessing. There's nothing that's impossible for, with God for you. You can do what God's called you to do. This is amazing. What are the dreams that God's put in your heart? It is not too late for you. You are not too old. You are not too young. You are not uh, financially unable to accomplish what God's called you to do. Your race, none of those things factor. Your home life, don't factor. None of those things factor. God designed you for such a time as this. There is nothing impossible for him who believes. That's the truth. We got to press into that. We got to believe that. We should have the market cornered on encouragement. It should come out of us. We should be the ambassadors. When people think about the church, when people think about followers of Jesus, what should come to their minds, what should, they should say, I don't know. I don't know if I believe what they say. I don't know if I believe their stories. I don't know what it is, but I sure like being around them. Because when I'm around them, I feel better about me. I feel like they genuinely care about me. I feel like they see a value in me. That should happen. That should be our story. That should be what comes out of us. It should come out of our words. It should come out of our actions. Uh oh. It should come out of our social media. It should come out. It should be our story. There should be words of encouragement falling out of us. When the world is discouraged and discouraging, we should be the ones at the forefront saying, God's got this, and He's got you, and there is hope for you. We never have to choose between the lesser of two evils. Come on now. We are the ambassadors of encouragement and hope. We believe that God is in control and we believe that he can do anything and he can do anything through you. That's amazing. That's our story. We lose our story when we forget about the power and significance of encouraging one another. We forget that we were gifted to one another as part of a body to accomplish it. We get lazy on this. We just get lazy. We get caught up in ourselves. We get caught up in our own world. We, we don't believe it. We hear it, but we don't go home and apply the app in our own lives so we don't have anything in our tank. Come on now to give to anybody else. Let me just ask you this. When's the last time someone came sniffing around your encouragement tank because they saw the overflow? They just went, you know what? I just need some time with John. If I got some time with John, I would just feel better. I just know every time I leave spending time with John, my tank is full. And you know what? My tank has been empty. I'm going through a tough time right now. And they looked for you. And you know why they looked for you? Because your tank was full. 
And what came out of you was encouraging. That should happen. That should be your regular state. It should be borderline annoying in your life. If you're not a little annoyed that people are coming to you for some encouragement, you're probably doing it wrong. Just saying. It should come out of you. That's the application of what happens here. That's what the scriptures describe the church is doing. I'm telling you, man, we got to put our foot on the gas. We're missing. We're missing it. We're sitting here in idle. And the world's looking around for the encouragement that used to come out of the church. It used to come out of the followers of Jesus. And they don't know where else to find it. They're going to doctors to find it. They're going to shrinks. They're going to social media. They're going wherever they got to go because they're not finding it. I'm going to tell you a quick story. One guy in the Bible known for his encouragement, and then we'll wrap it up. It's a guy named Joseph. I say Joseph, and you guys all think Christmas. I'm not talking about that Joseph. This is a guy named Joseph, and he's from Cyprus. He's a Levite from Cyprus. Now, I'm going to nerd out for just a second, because as I was studying this, I thought this was very significant. He's a Levite. Now, Levites are the group that were like the priestly group of the Israelites. They were the tribe that all of the priests came out of. Not every Levite was a priest, but every priest was a Levite, if that makes sense. So this is where they plucked the ministers out of. But every Levite had some experience serving in the temple. That was part of their culture. And they didn't get any inheritance. They didn't get any land when Joshua led them in because their job was to be dependent on their work with God. Now, fast forward hundreds and hundreds of years, and Levites have now gained some land, but not in the promised land, just in different places. They've married into land. They have resources. It's a normal thing for them to have now. So we meet Joseph, a Levite, who's from Cyprus, and it says, whom the apostles called, oh, you might recognize this name, Barnabas. Now, notice his name is never Barnabas. He doesn't have a name change. They just called him Barnabas because it meant son of encouragement because they liked hanging out with him. Some of you are nicknamers. I'm a nicknamer. I like nicknaming people. It's just fun to give someone a, a, a fun nickname that something about them, as long as it's building them up and not putting them down. It's a good thing to do. And the apostles met with him and they're like, dude, every time we hang out with you, we all feel good. You're that make us feel good guy. What's our word for that? Barnabas, that's what we're calling you. You're Barnabas. It says he sold a field he owned. I just wanna, that's a huge thing, right? I just want you to catch that. His family didn't have property. They didn't inherit. I'm gonna nerd out a little bit here. He didn't have that. So his family gained this some other way through effort, through marriage, through whatever. And it says he sold the field he owned and he brought the money and he put it at the apostles' feet. So he was in. Not only was he encouraging, he was invested. He came to the church. It springs up in Acts chapter two. In Acts chapter three and four, we start meeting all of these people who become part of the church. He comes to Jerusalem. He sees what's happening in the church. And he says, my resources, my energy, my strength, my encouragement, my finances, everything I have, I'm bringing this to God's mission. It's pretty powerful. You could miss that if you didn't put together that he's a Levite and he owns something. That's a big deal. That's who Barnabas is. So he becomes part of the life of the church. He's all in. What can I do to help? 
I'm here. I want you to feel good. I love that picture of him. If you're going to be a source of encouragement, you got to be invested. Simple as that. Let's fast forward. I just wanted you to meet him right there and tell a little story about him. Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 22. So for the last seven chapters, Barnabas has been basically pastoring. He's been invested. He's been investing. He's been given of himself and of his life to this church that has just exploded in Jerusalem. And another location, there is a a church that has burst on the scene in Antioch. And in verse 22, chapter 11, it says, news of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. And they wanted to check on this church in Antioch that has exploded. It says, and they sent Barnabas. Said, everybody likes Barnabas. We all feel good when he's around. Let's send him. He's a good ambassador. He goes to Antioch and it says, when he arrived and he saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad. And look at this. He encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He's got one move. This is his move. He shows up and he's like, you guys are awesome. God's moving. The spirit of God's on display. There's nothing you can't do. I want you to stay faithful to what God's called you to. That's who Barnabas is. It's amazing. Verse 24, he was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And look at what happens. A great number of people were brought to the Lord. People are like, oh, I don't like mega churches. Well, you don't like Antioch then. Because people just start coming. You know what the catalyst of that was? The presence and power of the Holy Spirit, the encourager, and people who were the ambassadors and demonstrating encouragement. That's what was happening. And the church just exploded. It just grew. Verse 25. This is amazing. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Now we know who Saul is. We know that Saul is going to be called Paul. We know he's still being called Saul because they don't trust him yet. He's the guy who used to murder Christians. Then God showed up, knocked him off his donkey. He was blinded. He had to get taken under somebody else's care. He gives his heart to Jesus, but nobody trusts this guy. So who do they send? To the guy who's got history, to the guy who's got baggage, to the guy who people don't trust to the guy who's proclaiming that he has faith now, but nobody's too sure what to do. They go, you know who's a good determiner in the core of inside of a person? Barnabas. Do you know how we know that? Because everyone who's around him leaves better than when they found him. So let's send Barnabas. Let's send him to go check out this Paul situation. Verse 26, it says, and when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. He just took the guy who was everyone else thought was dangerous to the church right into a baby church that has just exploded. He's like, you come with me. And look at this. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. I want you to catch this part of the story. He takes Paul and he says, you're just gonna come with me and be my wingman. And I'm gonna encourage you. But you know what he notices about Paul? Paul has a gift. Paul can talk. And it says for a whole year, he just unleashed Paul's gift in this church. And he stayed next to him and he mentored him and he believed in him and he spoke life into him. And he armor bared Paul, who was new, who was history said is not a safe person. And he said, you'd listen to this guy. 
You listen to the story that's in him. I'll vouch for him. I'll be his point person. I'll take responsibility. I'll bring him into the room. I'll introduce him to your fellow believers. I'll come alongside. That's what a great encourager does. Pulls out the life and gifts of somebody else. Takes the 10 seconds to tell a young Pastor Mike, hey, that was awesome. There's something there in you. You can do that. You can do it. There's life in you. He spends a whole year doing it. I remember years later in my life, I went ahead and went to Bible college, fought the Lord's call for a season, and then decided I'll just do it. I was still a little angry about it, but I was like, all right, God, I'm in with my little attitude. And I didn't know where to start. And I was like, okay, I'm nearing the end of my Bible college days. I don't know very many people. I'll just go back and work for free at my home church because what else would you do, right? So Christine and I head down there to interview, interview for an internship. What I didn't realize was a couple things. One, they had had an an intern go crazy and so their guard was a little bit up. But two, you're not really self-aware of this in high school. I wasn't the greatest kid that was around all the time, right? I was a a little difficult. I never quite got church culture I never, quite, I never quite understood what was proper and not proper in church. So there were a lot of people whose only picture of me was a teenager sitting next to a beautiful girl with his arm around him like this all during the service. And they're just like, oh, come on. Someone correct this kid, right? And so I show up saying, I'm here. I went to school. Can I work here? And you know what they said? No, thanks. I was like, no, 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 for free. And they're like, no, 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 thanks. I was in an interview for eight hours. I don't know if you ever had an eight-hour interview. At the end of an eight-hour interview, they said, no, thanks. Like, they got into the core of me, and they were like, no, we don't want any of that here. And then I went to a second interview, and I was with these board members. I love them. The board member's like, I went on a youth trip with you, and you were the hardest kid we ever went on a youth trip with. We never knew where you were. We found you in some other person's hotel room. Like, you were just, you were hard. Why would we work with you? And then someone stood up and said, you know what? Do you want to be judged by everything you did when you were 15? Do you want to be judged by everything you did when you were a teenager? Do you want that to be the story of your life? Do you want, come on now, is that what you want? Because I won't even go here if that's what we're going to do. And I got to tell you, a Bible college kid who was feeling pretty defeated all of a sudden lit up as someone said, this is not who this young man is now. That's not who he is today. And if we either believe in a God that can transform, who can do anything, and if this kid can't get a shot to come here and work for free, come on, I don't want to be here either. They offered me the internship. I didn't go. Some other things happen, but that's the short end of the answer. <laughs> we are designed to be agents of encouragement. A little encouragement can change everything, can change your story. You could change someone else's story. So here's my question. Where are you at? Are you in a place right now 
where the real truth is you just need some encouragement. Maybe just hearing me talk has begun to breathe that into you. I don't know how else and how stronger to word this. Everything in this story points to a God who wants you to know how valuable and amazing you are. Everything in here does. And if someone's trying to tell you different, I don't know what else to tell you. Tell them to come talk to me. I'll encourage them. That's your story. Some of you have just spent too much time away. You know what's funny about the Bible? I'm just going to be honest with you. The Bible is like, it's kind of like a last will and testimony of your treasure that you're entitled to. And when you don't get in here and get into the truth of it, it's kind of like if you had a, 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 an infinitely wealthy relative and you knew you were in the will and you didn't take any time to read it and claim what was yours. That's what happens when you don't spend any time in here. Are you tracking with me on that? There are promises in here that are for you. There is truth in here that is for you. There is hope in here that is for you. It is intended for you. It is gifted to you. Your father in heaven, the king, come on now, has bequeathed it to you, has given it to you. And you haven't read the will. You have it. You just haven't spent any time with it to know what you're entitled to. Some of you just need to hear that that's what you're entitled to. And that's who you are. Some of you come on now, have not done a good job being agents of encouragement and you know who you are. So let me in my strongest adult voice encourage you to knock it off. <laughs> to be an agent of encouragement, to instill courage in others, to breathe life into others. Stop it, knock it off. Some of you know someone right now that the healing that would happen if you just took the moment to encourage and value them the way they're valued could transform their life. You could do that. Some of you, come on now, just need to be in a circle and, and kind of heal for a while on this area of encouragement and just need to get restored. And that's why small groups are so important. I'm telling you, you can't do the confession app if you don't get into a small group. You can't do what this scripture tells you to do if you're not doing life with anybody. You just can't. That's why you need to be in a small group. And I'll say it. I'm going to encourage you with everything I got. Go do it. Go do it. Go do it. Look at me right here. Go do it. I don't, I don't, I don't have an excuse. I know you have an excuse. I have an excuse. You have an, well, I have an excuse. You need to be in community with other believers. You need it. You, need, you were designed for it. And some of you have been just waiting for an opportunity to be an agent of encouragement and to use your gift to do that. And some of you, if you just got into compassionate care, you could change lives. If you just got into hospitality, you could change lives. If you, come on now, if you would go helping kids, you're like, ah. I'm like, all right, fine. You miss that. You know what ends up happening to me when I'm on an encouragement mission, when I'm heading over to encourage others? Usually I end up the one who's the most encouraged. When I, when I go to somebody and I try to pour something into their lives, I leave going, well, I don't know if that worked, but man, that felt good. That's who I'm designed to be. Whoa. Some of you have missed that. You're, you're missing the blessing of getting to go do that. That's awesome, and it's for you. Don't miss that blessing. So we're heading into a new season. Two services are coming but every time I look in the scriptures and we catch, we the believers, catch this idea of encouraging and pouring into others, the church grows. 
people get changed and transformed. We meet and connect with new lives and heaven rejoices. So let's do it. What do you got to lose? Oh, I might actually encourage someone. I might stink. Are you kidding me? Let's do it. Let's, you can do it. I can do it. You can do it.